This is the eleventh show of a series of a brand new radio series. From Hollywood, we present the Stan Freeberg Show. With the music of Billy Mays. Plus the songs of Peggy Taylor with Dawes Butler, June Parade, Peter Leeds, and the Judd Conlon Rhythm Airs. You may not find us on your TV. Because in case you did not know, we're being brought to you on. Brought to you on. Brought to you on R-A-D-I. Good evening. Well, here we are again already for another yawn-packed half hour. <laughs> you uh, may be wondering if I'm breaking in a new voice. Actually, I am, I guess. I'm just getting over a mild case of the Swiss flu. The uh, Swiss flu? Yes, yeah, this way we don't offend anyone. It's <laughs> College football opened this weekend, and in keeping with this great event, we've asked that star sportscaster, Cliff Les Hotley, to come in and tell you about one of the most dramatic gridiron plays in the entire nation. Thank you. Cliff Les Hotley speaking from deep down below the great concrete memorial stadium of State University at University City in the dressing room of the great state team, the Bearcat Panther Tigers. And here with me is a man with a real story, Francis Butch Charmley, a man with a real story. Tell me, Francis Butch Charmley... Last Friday night was the big day for you when you suited up and went out there with those two-fisted Bearcat Panther Tigers to play right wing back on the offense against your opponents, the Varmint Timberwolves, on your first time out as a varsity man. When the score was tied 48-48 to with less than a minute to play, it was the fourth down and you were sent downfield in the shadow of the goalpost to catch a long, looping pass from that great left-handed quarterback, Gellish Mortenkazen. Tell me, how did you feel? All right. <laughs> And when that ball went sailing through the air in a long looping pass And there was less than a minute to play And it was fourth down and the score was tied 48 to 48 And this was your first time out Suited up as you were as a varsity regular What thoughts were racing through your mind, Francis Butch Charmley? None <laughs> None, none, ladies and gentlemen But that isn't all of your story, Francis Butch Charmley No, indeed, there's a story behind the reason That this was the first time you were suited up to play varsity regular there was that long time you were on probation, not allowed to suit up. You were not allowed to play with the other boys, and your amateur standing was questioned because Ned Cronin, a professional sports writer, bought you a banana milkshake. <laughs> and who was it? Who was it, Francis Butch Charmley, that would not let you go to the Olympics to compete in the hop, skip, and jump when you'd set a record in Skowhegan? Who was that man? Avery Brundage. <laughs> Avery Brundage. Think of that, ladies and gentlemen, and today that cloud has passed over, and at last you were able to suit up with the varsity. Tell us, Francis Butch Charmley. You seem more mature than some of the other fellows on the team. Just how old are you? At 58. <laughs> yes, after waiting 39 years to suit up with the varsity and with less than one minute to play, and it's fourth down in the score tied 48 to 48, and that great left-handed quarterback, Gellish Mortenkazen, threw a long looping pass to you in the shadow of the goalpost. How did you feel when you dropped it? Disappointed. <laughs> Thank you, Francis Butch Charmley, for tonight's vivid story and your story behind the story of last Friday night's great game behind the game. When you went out there on the field, you to play, and the score was tied after you, after 39 years, waited to suit up. And then you dropped the ball. Ha, 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 
Well, what are you going to sing, Peggy Taylor? Why, don't you just say, what are you going to sing, Peggy? I mean, people don't call each other by their full names in normal conversations. No, they do in radio. It's a rule, believe me. You have to say things like, well, what have you been up to lately, hi, Averback? Oh, sure, yes, I've heard them say things like that. A million times you've heard it. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you going to sing, Peggy Taylor? Gosh, I don't know, hi, Everback. (laughs) Just forget it. Uh, Why don't you sing the monkey song? It's from the pen of Hoagie Carmichael. You know it? No. Okay, I'll sing it for you, and you write down the words, okay? Okay. Hit it, Billy. It's a story about a monkey and a king, King Rebop, and his dream. Down in the jungle, he has a dream about flowers, dreams about a bird. He also dreams about a monkey. He dreams this monkey can play the drum. It seems that the king is broke. He needs dough. And as a missionary... The monkey heard swing down a hula hooling. He got bit, he got bit by the beat of it. He hopped upon the hippo's back, and with a grin, he went into his dance. Singing Sugudi Agni back. King Rebop said, You stop, you ain't exactly on the back beat. I look at my feet, and then he shuffled up a rhythm. Got the monkey going with him in a minute. They were balling the jack in the sand. Well, the monkey made a coconut tom tom, found an old drum that belonged to the voodoo. And by the middle of the week, everybody was speaking about the monkey and his medicine band. He beat licks with his sticks to a record by Bex, till his rhythm was the talk of all a Congo. He had a canoe playing a kazoo, and a jug man rounded out the combo. One day, a missionary with a Bible and canary came a-riding on a donkey through the jungle. King Rebop shouted, hey, stop, Pop. I know ways that we can make a bundle. So we told a missionary with the Bible and canary about the monkey and the way it played drums. And he'd added that he had a little bit of bad luck, and he'd like to sell the monkey to Frank Buck. Okay, said the man with the Bible in his hand, if a deal is according to Hoyle. I see what you've got, and I'll pay you a lot if you promise not to boil me in oil, 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 oil. So we went with the king down a hula hula to take a look at it, see if we could make a buck on it. But the monk, the king, kept raving about didn't know for nothing at all. Man, it was just another monkey. King Rebop then woke up, found out he'd been a dreaming, and upset caused a little missionary with the Bible and canaries at king. It must have been somebody you at. Somebody you at. Okay, now, Peggy Taylor, did you get all the words? Well, I got everything up to where you said, hit it, Billy. (laughs) Oh, oh, fine. Well, would you like to sing that number? No, I don't think so. Why not? You just sang it. True, true. Well, I'll be thinking of another number, and so so will you, I hope. Behind every great performer in show business, uh, there is... A woman. Wrong, an agent. In many cases, he is not only behind the performer, but on payday, the agent is out in front of the performer protecting his 10%. (laughs) We thought you'd like to learn how an agent operates, so we've invited Mr. Foster Pelf to be our guest. Uh, hiya, Stan. Trust the flesh. Well, shake hands, huh? Yeah. That's a smart saying, all right. Oh, you have to be hip in my business. <laughs> I'll bet you do. Yes. Tell me, Mr. Pelf, how many clients, uh, how many clients do you have? Uh, 64. 
All dogs. <laughs> I don't uh, see any reason to go around knocking your clients. Who's knocking them? They are dogs. <laughs> I specialize in canine artists. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> is there uh, much uh, demand for them? Oh, there certainly is, especially in television. Mm, I'll bet. I suppose most of the demand is for uh, acrobatic dogs. Well, funnily thing. enough, that's not so. You see, I, uh, I book quite a lot of my clients in acting parts, uh, character stuff, and, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. You mean they wear beards and tote guns, do psychological takes? Oh, brother, I'm glad I'm not your agent. <laughs> well, then, uh, what uh, kind of character parts do your clients uh, play? Well, all Double kinds. Derelicts, good-natured slobs, <laughs> friend of the leading child. <laughs> Any of your clients ever get starring roles? Well, funnily enough, <laughs> you've uh, just put your paw on a very interesting point. Finger. Oh, pardon me, finger. <laughs> well, that's probably because I like to do interviews in depth. Yeah. Uh, you see, it's hard to book my clients in leading parts because, you know, writers just aren't writing the kind of star parts a dog can play these days. <laughs> Unfortunate, but true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd be astonished, really astonished, at the quality of scripts producers send my clients to read. Hmm. Be astonished, would I? You certainly would. <laughs> you mean your dogs read scripts? Well, no, wait a minute. I mean, don't you think that would be expecting a little too much of a dog? <laughs> oh, yes, forgive me. Dogs don't have any perspective. <laughs> I have to read the scripts to them. <laughs> Gee, all that for 10%, huh? Well, I take a deep interest in my clients' welfare. I try to keep them on top. You, uh... You don't want them to go to the Bow Wows, eh? I wonder if I came to the right place. <laughs> no, I was only joking. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I got a Chihuahua Wow that gets off a better one-liner than that. <laughs> Be that as it may, Well, it's I... a sick Chihuahua Wow at that. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. Would I be correct in assuming that some of your clients play speaking parts? Well, actually, I don't hold out much hope for talking dogs. Like I said, you know, on account of those lousy writers. <laughs> well, you think there's more future then for dogs who write their own material? Well, that or, you know, with a specialty. Oh, specialty, you mean like wearing a little hat and climbing up a ladder? Are you kidding? That stuff went out with Fink's mules. <laughs> My boy here plays jazz trombone. Come here, Miff. Miff, come here, boy. Come on, Miff. Let's have a little applause here for Miff. Oh, boy. That's an awfully small trombone he's carrying there. Now, listen, Mr. Freeberg. Don't press me. Just how long do you think a dog's arm is? <laughs> Boy, they don't treat you like this on the Ted Mack show. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, let's see what he can do there. Okay, Miff. Miff, that's a strange name. Well, yeah, Miff Mole's old records have influenced them the most. And well, they could. Now, play it cool, Miff. Uh, could we have a little accompaniment? Yes, certainly. Hit it, Miff. Play good, baby.
my chops beat. Well, <laughs> never you mind, Miff. That was amazing. Arf. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, Miss Baby, you did noble. Now take five. Here, catch. What are you feeding in there, liver? Uh-uh. Kibble's bringing my own records. Oh. Well, they're, they're lovely, they're nourishing, and rather inexpensive. Mm-hmm, good. Well, all in all, Mr. Pelf, uh, would you say this is going to be a good season for dogs? Would I? Wait till you see some of the new television shows. <laughs> and it's been nice talking to you, sir. Now we... Oh, I see a gentleman in the audience there as he's hand up. You uh, have a question, sir? Dogs that play trombones, monkeys that play drums. When is this show going to get believable? Well, I... Uh... I'm so bored, my trunk has gone to sleep. <laughs> well, that's the breaks. Well, Peggy Taylor, have you thought of a song yet? Yes, I have, Stan Freeberg. I'm going to sing The Grand Canyon Suite. <laughs> no, no. See, it has no words. You're kidding. I swear to you, it has no words. Well, couldn't I just dum-de-dum it? No, I'm afraid not, dear. Well, all right. How about if I sing Famous Last Words, then, huh? How about if you sing it indeed? I won't think about him I'll just forget him I'll wake up in the morning And I know I'll feel much better I'll start all over I can do it if I try You won't see me cry Famous last words I'll tear up his picture I'll burn that letter I'll throw away the scarf he gave me And that nowhere sweater I'll find the new love Yes, sir, that's just what I'll do And I won't be blue Famous last words Now I won't miss his pipe smoke That clings to my dresses I won't miss the warmth Of his tender He comes back crawling I'll just ignore him Because I don't adore him Can you see I don't adore him He'll say I'm sorry I'll say, baby, that's too bad And I'll be so glad Famous last words
This fall, there will come galloping onto your TV screen the greatest array of Western characters since Smiley Burnett was on This Is Your Life. <laughs> Allow us to be the first to give you a composite preview of these thrilling, action-packed sagas of the West. Just shut your eyes now, and you will hear a typical soundtrack that will be coming out of your television set this fall. No peeking at the picture now. <laughs> of America presents Bang Gunley, U.S. Marshal Fields. That's right. Well, let's ride on out and look over the spread. Okay. Cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> yep. Somebody sure cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> Come on, foreman. Let's get on back to the ranch. Okay. our action-packed story in just a moment, folks. But first, a word from the newest member of the Eating Corporation of America's breakfast family, Puffed Grass. Puffed Grass, eat Puffed Grass, chock full of vitamins and chlorophyll too. It's good for Bossy. Mm. It's good for me and you. Puffed Grass! Hi, boys and girls. This is Jet Crash. I'm a test pilot. Believe you me, I couldn't break through the sound barrier every morning. If I didn't start off my day with a stomach. 
full of puffed grass. <laughs> One hundred million cows can't be wrong. <laughs> the only breakfast food containing chlorophyll, two. <laughs> yes, when us test pilots are all alone up there, pulling out of a sonic dive on the verge of blacking out, with a pull of nine G's on our body, I can't tell you what a comfort it is to have that extra chlorophyll protection. <laughs> Two. It well makes me the most popular test pilot of the annual Lockheed prom. Yes, you can spot the puffed grass eaters in any crowd. They got a green mouth. <laughs> there goes a boy with a green mouth. He's a puff grass eater. Puff grass. Now, back to Bang Gunley, U.S. Marshal Fields. Yeah, boy. Good. Let's us tie in the feed bag, eh, Foreman? Okay. <laughs> One thing about you, Ma, you sure womp up a mess of vittles. Foreman and I rode out there this morning. Oh! Well, uh, tell us, new foreman, what do you think? <laughs> well, ma'am, looks to me like I'm going to sure cut through that fence, all right? <laughs> to our action-packed saga of the old western <laughs> just a minute, folks. But first... Good evening. I'm your friendly research chemist here at Eating Corporation of America. You may be interested in learning the painstaking research that went into the discovery of puffed grass. One day, our nearsighted gardener here at the factory took some clippings from the lawnmower and, mistaking it for the incinerator, threw them down the barrel of one of our puffed oat guns. The result, pop grass. Yes, science is always working for you at the Eating Corporation of America. Today, puff grass is shot out of six guns, just like the one Bang Gunley uses. Every morning at the factory, I take a gun, a breakfast dish, and shoot myself a bowl of puffed grass. <laughs> of course, a cast iron bowl helps. But the goodness is there in every blade. One hundred million moogows can't be wrong. What's good for Bossy mm. is good for me and you. 
to our thrill backstory. Well, Foreman, we just can't thank you enough. What for? Why, for, you know, agreeing with me that that it sure looked like someone had sure cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> just part of my job as Bang Gunley, U.S. Marshal Fields. By thunder, <laughs> I knowed I'd seen you somewhere before. Mr. Gunley, does this... Well, does this mean you you won't be staying on as our new foreman? Afraid not, Miss Judy. My work is finished here. <laughs> oh, sakes alive! I got a pie in the oven. Oh, come on, Pa. Let's leave these young folks alone. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I didn't... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mr. Gunley? Ma'am? A penny for your thoughts. Well, uh... <laughs> Miss Judy, I... Not much of a talker around women folks, but... I've been thinking lately, and... Well... Now I'm sure. Come here. Yes... Miss Judy, somebody sure cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> come on, Pedro. See, si, amigo. <laughs> we leave mucho pronto, eh? What? Well, where did he come from? Pedro, he materializes at the end of each episode. <laughs> Pedro, is he Mexican? No, senorita. Swiss. <laughs> This way, we don't offend nobody. <laughs> Adios. Goodbye, Miss Judy. Goodbye. Hey, U.S. Marshall Field, riding east, west, north, and south. You can tell he stands for justice by the way he draws a gun and the proud look about his green mouth. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it looks like 30 minutes have slipped away from us again. How is that possible, Dawes? Well, they slipped through the hole in the fence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, if you'd like to see our show, we'd love to have you. Write for tickets, care of CBS Radio, Hollywood, California. While you're at it, send me something for this cold, even if it's only Dr. Christian. <laughs> Until next week, this is Stan Freeberg saying thanks for listening, God bless you, and good night. show is produced in Hollywood by Pete Barnum and is written by Stan Freeberg, Pete Barnum, and Jack Roach. Featuring the music of Billy May, Judd Conlon's with the mayor's The Songs of Piggy Taylor with Dawes Butler, Peter Leeds, and June Beret. Bud Sewell speaking. 